Hello, Shirley fans, and welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We have had a battle of machines this morning already. Yeah, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes the machines win. <laughs> we are on my computer today because Jason's computer... Not working. At least it didn't try to kill me, though. Right. <laughs> That's the good news. <laughs> right. So... Welcome back. We are in the midst of something that I would like to call the James Cameron Shows Us How to Do a Sequel series. We have just finished up with Alien and Aliens. Yep. Um, and we are just beginning Terminator and Terminator 2, where James Cameron comes out for the second swing and knocks it out of the park. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Now, before These we get, movies. Yeah, before we got into this series, we had our 1984 series where we covered a whole lot. We had albums, we had movies, we had all kinds of stuff. But today we're going back to 1984. That's right. If you haven't uh, been catching up on current events, pal, <laughs> we did Born in the USA versus sports yep we did ghostbusters versus gremlins yep we did footloose versus purple rain yes movie and soundtrack yes we spent eight weeks in 1984 it was great and now we get a chance to revisit it today yeah so imagine that summer right all of those things in your life that were going on you're listening to i want a new drug you're listening to when let's go crazy yeah. yes yes and you're listening to let's hear it for the boy right he is and then you're gonna go watch bill murray and dan Aykroyd blow up some ghosts who are you gonna call uh ray parker jr <laughs> hi i'd like to talk to you about your song that you stole from me yeah exactly <laughs> but while all of that was going on the other thing that was going on in los angeles was the Olympics. Before we get going, I just want to point something out. We have been talking to each other now for a couple of years face to face. And one of the reasons that I can do that is because you don't have nose hair. <laughs> have you been talking to people and like you can't even concentrate on what they're saying because of their nose hair? Absolutely. They like talk to you. They like dangle. <laughs> it dangles. Yes, it wiggles. It's it's a total distraction. Absolutely. And so let me let me say, if you are one of those guys, we have a product that is supporting the podcast that you need to check out. It's called the Weed Whacker and it is from Manscaped. It is an amazing product. It trims your nose hair. It's not embarrassing. You just stick it up there. It takes care of it. You're not going to look at people and bother them. Right. And I'm one of those guys who's self-conscious about my nose hair. So somebody that you're going to see me and I'm going to be like yanking them out and wincing in pain. <laughs> Don't do that. There is a special thing that they make. And they've also just released, in addition to the Weed Whacker, they have just released something called the Lawnmower. If you have other areas of your body that you're looking to trim up. And I'd like to point out that a giraffe is easier to see in the plains than it is in the forest. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yes, yes, it is. So and it's very it's very good around sensitive areas, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they have also an entire shave kit called the Ultra Smooth Package. Package. <laughs> <laughs> you get the idea. So who it, doesn't want their package ultra smooth? Right, right. So don't forget to go to manscaped.com and use the promo code FANSIDED20 to get 20% off your order and free shipping. Whack it. <laughs> Perfect. That's right. I think I just posted on Facebook two days ago Yeah. that it was the 37th anniversary of the opening ceremonies of the 
LA Coliseum Olympic games. games. Yeah. yeah. And as it turns out, this movie was filmed kind of in and around all that stuff going on. Right. So as everybody's preparing for those ceremonies, like in early summer, before it all begins, a young 30-year-old director is with a newly dubbed movie star named Arnold Schwarzenegger in the back streets of the suburbs of Los Angeles. And they are driving a station wagon. And it's just Jim and Arnold and a camera no mics, no nothing. They get out of the car and he's like, okay, we need to kind of, whoa, do you hear a siren? <laughs> and Arnold's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, we need to kind of hurry. He's like, is something wrong? He's, he's like, yeah, we don't really have any permits to shoot, which is something you have to have in LA. You have to have a permit to be filming a movie. Right. And so he's like, do we need permits? And <laughs> he's like, we don't have any money for permits. So no, we don't. Yeah. And so they park the car and Jim gets out and he's like, Okay, I want you to go over there and punch the glass out of that window. Yeah. And Arnold's like, uh, Jim, I'm kind of a movie star. You know, people <laughs> might recognize me. Right. Not to I'm, mention I'm a big guy. Right. You know? It's not like you are subtle, right? You're 6'5 with 230 pounds of muscle. You're Mr. Olympia <laughs> punching out windows. He's like, is this real glass or is this movie glass? He's like, just go do it, man. Just go do it. <laughs> And so, yeah, they quickly filmed this last little bit of gorilla footage where Arnold looks around, punches the glass out, and steals the station wagon. Awesome. But before we get there, we need to go back even further. Okay. What day is it? The date. 12th, May, Thursday. What year? Okay, so interestingly, we talked when we were talking about Alien versus Aliens, we talked about Dan O'Bannon and his history. And one of the things that he did was that he faked a UFO landing with his dad. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And oddly enough, James Cameron kind of had a similar experience. Do you remember this? When he was a young boy, he was very much into science and science fiction. The first thing his dad was happy about, the second thing his dad was not happy about, right. also, also similar to Dan O'Bannon. Right. And so he decides to impress his dad, something he's learned in school, he's going to heat up air and make a hot air balloon. And so he and his brother and a couple of friends <laughs> get together, they light this thing up, it starts floating he's so proud and then all of a sudden they lose control it catches fire it starts flying across the sky and they're lucky that they didn't set any houses or fields on fire but i mean they're having to ride their bikes to chase it down and it makes the news the next day <laughs> hey dad did you hear about that uh, fireball that i set and <laughs> drifted around and almost burned down the neighborhood that was me yeah yeah his dad was none too happy about that but i was using the scientific method to make it work. <laughs> yeah. He was mad. James Cameron has a science fiction book in his hand. His dad gets mad, takes the book away, throws it away, says, don't be reading this crap anymore. And James just sneaks out of bed that night, gets it out of the trash and yeah. continues his quest. But his whole life, he's spent trying to impress his dad, right? One nice thing that they did do together, though, was they learned how to scuba dive. That would yeah. come into play in uh, about every movie from the abyss on. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so James was this really bright student, and he ultimately went to college, didn't like it, and decided to quit. Mm -hmm. He lived out in a suburb of Hollywood called Brea, which wasn't a particularly big school. He had been from Canada originally, and he made a couple of friends out there named William Wisher 
and Randy Frakes. Right. And these guys are all into movies. That's right. They go see Star Wars together. Yeah. Randy's a little bit older. Bill's a little bit younger. So Jim has dropped out of college. He is driving a truck, working as a janitor. I mean, he's cleaning gum off of the bottom of desks and delivering cafeteria food to the local school. His dad's not happy. Yeah. I haven't quite found his way yet. Right. But he does know that he loves movies. And so what he does is he goes over to the USC library and studies books. Like he's getting his USC education on his own. He like checks out dissertations and stuff from yeah. students. Yeah. When people do a research study on films, he'll go get their study and read what they've written because he knows like these are guys my age who are doing the stuff. This is what I would be learning. Right. Also near the area where they live is the Chinese theater. Yeah. So in 1977, right about the time that a guy named George Lucas is having a cheeseburger across the street, mm-hmm. he and Randy and Bill all go see this movie together. They buy their ticket. Nobody really knows about this movie yet. Like it's brand new. And when they buy their ticket, she hands them a little badge, like a little button. And it says, may the force be with you. And they're like, what is this? And she's like, it's kind of like a theme of the movie. Yeah. Just a little just minor yeah. thing. It's not going to change pop culture or anything. Right. And so they go in and they watch the movie and James Cameron has changed forever. He says, I know what I want to do now. I had an idea, but now that I've seen what this guy can do. And he was, I mean, he was disturbed. He was like, this is everything I wanted to do. And George Lucas just did it better. And so what he does is he says, I'm quitting my job. We need to go find some investors and we are going to make a move. They find investors, dentists, some dentists looking to invest some money. I wonder if those guys ever got any return on them. They just wanted a tax shelter. Like here, hold this, do whatever. We don't really care. We're just looking for a tax shelter. So they make this 20 minute long movie-ish. It's really like the beginning of something that's supposed to continue. Like that was their idea. We'll make the beginning of the movie and then we'll get funding for the rest of the movie. It's So similar to what he ultimately ends up making, right? The beginning of the movie has a lot of paintings that he did, including a blue woman like Avatar. Uh uh And then you've got this guy who's on this alien world and he starts to fight with the alien and who comes out to save him. But this girl manually operating this larger machine, just like out of aliens. Right. Even the the robot has these tank-like treads that you see in both Terminator and aliens. Yeah, absolutely. Check out Exogenesis. You will be amazed that like three guys who had never done a movie before were able to accomplish what they accomplished with 1970s technology and only $20,000. It's really amazing. But unfortunately, it doesn't turn into a full movie deal for any of them, right? Right. I think what they ultimately got offered was Pillsbury offered to let them make a commercial for them. Yeah, the Pillsbury Doughboy. Right. If that was you and me and that happened, I'd be like, Pillsbury, yes, (laughs) let's do it. Heck yeah. But James Cameron's like, no. This is not, this not, is not it. This is not it. This is not what I came to do. And so what he ends up doing is taking the movie over to Roger Corman's production theater. He takes it over there, shows it to them and says, will you give me a job? And they say, sure, we need a production designer. Why don't you come on and you can help design sets and do some of that stuff. And so he gets the job that way. Right about the same time that he got his job, this lady named Gail Ann Hurd just graduates from Stanford and she gets a job as Roger Corman's assistant. Talked a little bit about this in our Alien versus Aliens episode last week. So he gets on with Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. He's working as a production designer. Uh, they hire this guy off the street named Bill Paxton. 
Oh yeah. He's Bill Paxton's like, Hey, um, I'd like to submit an application. He's like, grab a paintbrush. He's like, <laughs> go paint that wall. Uh, I haven't uh, got the job yet. He's like, Oh, sorry. I just go paint the wall. You're good. Yeah. We'll worry about that later. <laughs> and so Gail Ann Hurd comes in because she wants to check around and see what's going on. She's the new assistant. And when she comes in, James is so in charge of everything that's going on. She thinks he's the production manager, like right. the special effects guy, like he's the guy. And as it turns out, she finds out later, it's not him. It's this other dude who's doing a crap job. And so she goes back to Roger Corman and basically says, well, the guy that you have in charge isn't doing anything, but this other guy who is just a lowly nothing guy, he's running the show. Right. And so what Roger Corman does is fire the top guy and bring James in to be the main man. Mm -hmm. And at that point he was making $200 per week. And he's like, uh, Roger, I really appreciate the promotion. Could you also give me a raise? Because I cannot survive on this. Right. And Roger's like, well, yeah, I'll give you 400. And James Cameron's like, that's really kind of you, but I can't survive on that. What was the guy before me making? He's like, well, he was making 750. He goes, well, you're giving me that job. I feel like I should make 750. And Roger Corman's like, well, yeah, but you don't have any experience. He goes, yeah, the guy you just fired who couldn't do anything had all the experience. I'm the one that's actually getting it done. And Roger Corman was like, you're right. You can have the 750 a week. And so he ends up being a part of another movie that you've seen, God bless you, that was a knockoff of the movie Alien. Galaxy of Terror. Right. We talked a little bit about how he was in charge of the guy who had cut off his own arm. Mm -hmm. And there was this shot where there were worms on the arm and they, they wanted the worms to wiggle and the worms were just laying there. And so he devised a plan to attach some electrical wires to the prop arm and zap the crap out of those mealworms. And they came to life and wiggled. And the Italian producers that were in the room observing said, that's the guy we want for our next movie, Piranha 2. The spawning. If you haven't heard our Alien versus Aliens episode, go back and listen to those. There's all kinds of good stories there. But one of the good stories is another guy who went to that Chinese theater was a guy named Ridley Scott, who had just finished <laughs> directing his first movie. Like literally James Cameron and Ridley Scott saw the movie in the same theater days apart. They may have bought popcorn standing <laughs> next to each other. You never know. You really don't know. You really yeah. don't know. And so he went on, Ridley Scott went on to direct Alien. That's coming up here in just a minute that James Cameron also becomes a super fan, fanboy of Alien. And so they go off to film this movie in the Caribbean and James Cameron is going to have his first experience as a director the highly anticipated <laughs> <laughs> i mean pretty sure some people camped out for tickets to see piranha 2 you thought you were excited for terminator 2 <laughs> people were fired up for piranha 2 the spawning right except over the course of the movie as he's filming he's cutting corners he's doing everything he can he's working his butt off he's actually painting rubber fish in his hotel room <laughs> When the guy comes in and fires him. Yeah. He's like, you're not getting, you're not getting the right shots. You're not doing this. He's like, I'm getting every amount. He's like, you're spending too much time on this thing and this thing. And he's, and he's like, you hired me to direct this movie. Why don't you let me direct this movie? He's like, no, you're fired. Yeah. Well, he learns later on that that was just that guy's play, right? He had been trouble for the folks in Italy and basically he couldn't have a picture green lighted as a director himself. It had to have some American attached to it. And so he just used James Cameron as his ticket. Yeah. And he had done that before. Bring the American on, get the financing, start the picture, 
fire that guy, take over, make your own movie. So again, very similar to the Dan O'Bannon story, right? It is, hey, come over here. We're going to make this big, great movie. Oh, you're fired. Send you back and you've got no place to live. So in the busyness of trying to film all these things, he's staying up all night long. He's wearing himself thin. He's not eating. Like he's stealing bread off of the carts of outside in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in bad shape and he ends up getting sick and he has a fever. Mm -hmm. And so in his sick fever, he has a dream. So in this nightmare, he is stalked by this unstoppable killing machine robot from the future. Yeah. Sound relatively familiar to you? Yes, it's called the Firer. No, the fire. it's called the Terminator. The Terminator. Because he had been fired. He had been terminated. <laughs> he was in a position where he was like, I've lost everything because this guy that I have no control over just terminated me. It's him against this thing. It looks like a human being. He shoots it, feels like he's blown it away. And then this metal skeleton with only the torso crawls out from the wreckage to continue to try to hunt him down and kill him. That's a movie I would watch. Now, before he totally leaves Jamaica, yeah, one of the guys in the movie Piranha 2 was this guy named Lance Hendrickson. Yes. Who played the sheriff. Right. We talked about how in order to have his sheriff badge, they found a you know save the whales little tin little Happy Meal toy uh-huh. that they used turned it turned it upside down. <laughs> like I and I think they bought the clothes of the guy who was selling the but, selling the save the whales button too because it had like a stripe down the side that looked more like a police uniform than whatever it was that they had bought for Lance Henriksen. James Cameron paid for that those pants out of his own pocket. Yeah. As he's stealing bread from other people's trays in the hallway at his hotel. Right. So he and Lance develop a good relationship during this thing. And then he goes back home. And so within just a short amount of time, James Cameron writes this 60-page treatment slash script. And he gets offered money for it. Yeah. He gets offered a decent amount of money for it, but with somebody else directing. And Randy is the one that says, listen, you can take this money. I mean, this is good money. It's like buy a few houses kind of money. Mm -hmm. He's like, you can take this money and you'll be a screenwriter. Do you want to be a screenwriter? He's like, no, I want to be a director. And he says, then don't take the money. Right. And so what James Cameron ends up doing is he finds Gail Hurd, who has now formed her own production company, is looking for material. And he says, I want you to produce this script. And she's like, this is amazing. I would love to produce this script. Who do you want to direct? He goes, me. As a matter of fact, I'm the only one that's allowed to direct it. She's like, what? He's like, I will sell it to you for a dollar. One dollar. Has to be on the condition that I get to direct. So James Cameron and Gail Hurd are now on a quest to find somebody to finance this incredible idea that he's at. Yes. And nobody wants this guy who's never really directed a movie in his life to direct this script. And so who they ultimately end up with is this company, this production company out of England called Hemdale. Okay. There's a story I want to tell in here. Okay. Okay. So Jim and Gail and Hurd are like, we got to go impress the pants off the people to Hemdale. Right. So they call their buddy, Lance Hendrickson. Right. And they say, listen, we need your help to get this movie financed and made. Would you please help us out? We want you to dress like a Terminator. Right. Lance was supposed to be the Terminator. Like that was who James had in mind to be the Terminator. Yeah. In fact, there are conceptual drawings of the machine part of his skull and the other half is Lance Hendrickson. Right. Okay. And if you don't know who Lance Hendrickson is. He's Bishop in Aliens. He's Bishop in Aliens. Yes. So they go to Hemdale. Lance Hendrickson kicks in the door. Like knocks it off the hinges. Like busts the crap out of the door. <laughs> Scares the heck out of everybody in the in the office. Yeah. 
And they're like, sir, can we help you? And he doesn't say a word. He's got those stoic sunglasses on. He's got, he's like, got gold foil on his teeth. And he's dressed in combat attire. And he looks intimidating and menacing. And he doesn't say a word. And they're about to, like, call the cops, get this guy out of here. And James Cameron comes in. And he's like, hi, everybody. I'm here for my meeting. <laughs> Don't mind me. My friend here, he's just a Terminator. Right. And it, it makes an impact. Oh, for sure. How and do you gets not? it freaking greenlit. And Hemdale has just started to get into movies. Uh, they've previously managed bands like Yes and Black Sabbath. Get out of town. I'm not kidding. As it turns out, I don't know if they're the ones that served Ozzy Osbourne papers on stage or not. <laughs> I tried to find that out, but I couldn't find it. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, be sure to go back and check out our history of Oz, Ozzy Osbourne, No More Tears versus Aerosmith. Get a grip. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely go check those out. Those are fun episodes. Okay, so they've got a budget at this point, and now they need some actors. You've got three main parts here, right? Yep. You've got Sarah Connor, you've got the Terminator, and you've got Kyle Reese. Yes. The guy who's supposed to save the Sarah protector, Connor. Right? right. And so they they consider several people for these different parts. But one of the guys that they want, what the production company wants for Kyle Reese is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. You heard that right. Not the Terminator, right? Kyle Reese, right? And so Arnold gets a script, he reads it, he likes it, and James Cameron finds out that they're considering him, and he's like, "This is terrible. I don't want. He's too big. He's not right at all for this part." And so he's talking to Bill Wisher and Randy Frakes, and they're like, "Well, what are you going to do?" And he's like, "I got to go have lunch today, guys. I'm going to be picking a fight with Arnold Schwarzenegger." So. Uh, yeah. If I don't make it back, Randy, you can have my lamp. <laughs> Bill, you can have the couch. <laughs> and so he leaves and meets Arnold for lunch and they start talking and Arnold is immediately just this charming guy. Like he's he's like, wow, you're even bigger than I thought you were. And he's like, actually, I'm much smaller than I normally am. I had to lose weight to play these parts. And he's, he's, he's sincere, a, right? He's very charming, very likable guy. And so they start talking and as they're talking, Arnold keeps giving suggestions for the Terminator. He's like, I really love this Terminator. You know, he's he's got to be like, a, he's got to have no emotion. And he's, he's given all of these details and it's like clicking little links in James's head. And he's like, could you just be still for me and stop talking for a second? And he's like, what? And so he makes him be still and he draws a picture right then and there of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Brilliant. Brilliant. And for those of you who don't know, James Cameron is a gifted artist. Like, I mean, he's an amazing filmmaker, but he can draw like nobody's business. One of the ways that he survived after they fired him from Piranha was <laughs> they said, hey, will you still paint the posters for us? Right. You were fired as the director, but how about you draw the poster? So he paints this picture of Arnold as the Terminator. Arnold was still building his movie career, and he really wanted to be the hero in all these movies. Right. And something, that, remember they're at lunch, something that I learned in this process that if you happen to be not the actor, if you're the director or the producer or something like that, and you meet an actor for lunch, it is your job to pay for lunch. Right. And James Cameron said, I forgot my wallet. <laughs> the old forgot my wallet <laughs> trick. And Arnold starts laughing and he's like, oh, you're serious. And he's, <laughs> so Arnold Schwarzenegger has to pay for <laughs> lunch on the day that he's trying to get cast in this movie. And he would be the guy that made the movie, of course. But both guys go back and they're like, we want Arnold 
as the Terminator. Of course, Arnold's agent tries to talk him out of it. He's like, no, 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 that's the villain. He's like, chill out. Dickwad. It's the title character. It's the best part. Right. There are only, I think, there what, 17 lines? There's like 25 yeah. words yeah, this is said not by the Terminator. I mean, it's really nothing. Yeah. And it's mostly, nice night for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> nothing clean. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't say a lot. Right. Yeah. But he plays that character so well, launches him into superstar. Okay. So they're greenlit. They have the Terminator. They are ready to start filming. And our buddy Dino De Laurentiis steps in and says, you cannot have Arnold Schwarzenegger. I want to make another Conan movie first. Yeah. So Conan had come out in May of 1982, just less than two years before, but it made Arnold a star. And Dino De Laurentiis was the one who had produced that movie. But when you do something like that, you have all these contractual provisions so that if you want to do a sequel, you have what are, what are called preemptive rights. And at this point, De Laurentiis says, I'm ex exercising my preemptive right. Right. So think you're a starving director. You've managed to get a script greenlit. You've managed to secure the job as director. You land a guy that's going to be a movie superstar. And Dino De Laurentiis steps in and says, you can't have it. Right. For nine months. For nine months. Right. While we go make this movie. Right. So what happens actually ends up, it's serendipitous, if you will, mm -hmm. because to buy the nine months that he has to, to make a living so that he can survive, he works on a couple of script projects. One is Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Most people don't realize that James Cameron really wrote Rambo. And then there were these guys from this production company called Brandywine who said, hey, we're looking at making Alien Part Two. Are you interested in writing a script? And he's like, I've got just enough time to do both of these while I wait on Arnold Schwarzenegger. So they wait the nine months. Yeah. And when it comes time for production for Terminator, they've got to hire these three roles, like you said. Yes. They've already got Arnold as the Terminator. I'll be back. Now they need Kyle Reese and Sarah Connor. Okay. Now, before we get too far down the line, I want to, I want to bring up a couple of names that were associated with the Terminator before they hired Arnold, okay? okay? This is really interesting stuff. Here are some of the names that they considered for the Terminator. Okay. Tom Selleck. Um, yeah, sure. Okay. Michael Douglas. Kevin Klein. See, now, when they had Lance Henriksen as the guy that they wanted to be the Terminator, before people started saying, this is going to be a big enough movie that we need a big star instead of somebody that nobody's really heard of before, he was supposed to be an in and out guy and every everyday right. Joe who could sneak in and out of a crowd. And so if you have in your head, this big hulking guy needs to be the Terminator. That's not what they were looking at initially. That all changed with Arnold. That's right. And so, yeah, I mean, those guys as an everyman who could be in and out. Sure. Okay. I want to throw two names at you. They're going to blow you away. Okay? okay. Yeah. So going on that premise that they wanted the everyman to be able to slide in and out of society without being noticed. He doesn't look like Mr. Olympia, a name that actually was written down as a consideration. Chevy Chase as the Terminator. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? I mean, just Chevy Chase is a villain at all. Right. Wow. I don't know. I don't know, man. That'd be weird. Okay. Here's the other name that will blow you away. Okay. OJ Simpson was. I'm sorry. What was? Did you oh, just say the juice? The juice. <laughs> the juice was considered for the role of the Terminator. Okay. And, 
And you know why he didn't get it? Because they thought he was too nice a guy. He's too nice looking. Nobody would believe him as a killer. (laughs) (laughs) Irony. They actually went so far as to have a movie poster done. Half OJ Simpson's face and half Half exoskeleton. Yes. So those names associated, but, but really this is Arnold's role. Now, here are the names associated with Sarah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Rosanna Arquette, Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Gina Davis, kind of before she was known. Yeah. Okay. And Deborah Winger. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now then, names for Reese. Ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Bruce Willis. Really? Yes. He hadn't done anything at That's this point. That's before Moonlighting. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's interesting because Arnold and Bruce later become very good friends. As a matter of fact, when we get to T2, Arnold was supposed to be going to have Christmas celebration with Bruce Willis at the time that T2 was wrapping up. And James Cameron said, Arnold, I need you to come back. I got to refilm some stuff. It didn't come out right. And so Arnold spent Christmas Day having the spike driven when through he his pulls back. that spike when through he, when he pulls the spike through that he was filming on Christmas day, missing the Christmas with his friend, Mr. Bruce Willis. Wow. Who in 1984 was nobody. Right. Okay. So I thought that was interesting. Bruce Willis. Now then they have this guy named Michael Bean who came in to audition. He had been doing a play called cat on a hot tin roof. Yes. And when he came in, he still had a Southern accent from that play. Yeah. Tennessee Williams play all Southern characters. He'd been working hard on that Southern accent. So Reese had a little bit of a Southern accent. (laughs) They didn't like that too much. Come with me if you want to live. (laughs) (laughs) You've been targeted for termination. Uh, So, yeah. So they, they call his agent back and they say, hey, we really, really liked Michael Bean's audition, but. You know, this guy can't have a Southern accent. And his agent's like, he's from Nebraska. What are you talking about? (laughs) They realized, oh, he just still had that hanging on from his cat on a hot tin roof. Here's the thing with Michael Bean Uh that I discovered. And if you've been following us on Facebook, you're, you're, you're catching up on this amazing stuff that we're finding out. Michael Bean was in Greece with John Travolta Uh as one of the jocks on the basketball team. He's actually the guy who gets punched in the stomach by John Travolta when he's stealing the basketball. That's Michael Bean. That's crazy. So Lance Henriksen has to be kind of bummed out. I mean, he's gone and he's gotten this movie greenlit by busting through the door and pretending to be the Terminator in this production company. And then he finds out, well, yeah, you can't. You can't be the Terminator. And no, we don't want you for Kyle Reese either. <laughs> is there anything I can do? <laughs> yes. We have a police officer. Oh, is he the main police officer? No, he's like the police officer's main police officer's helper. It's kind of the second <laughs> banana. He gets shot. It's great. It's, it is a great, it's a great dynamic that those two actors have though. So Lance Hendrickson ends up getting the part of Vukovic, who is like second in command to Traxler, who's played by Paul Winfield. And those two guys have a great dynamic. I mean, they both, you believe that they're both cops that have been worn down by years of in and out nonsense. They don't get excited about what's going on at all, despite the fact that you're getting Sarah Connor killed right after Sarah Connor got killed. Right. Which I got to say, how do you not go to the third address? I mean, why are they calling her? Why are they only calling her? Go to her house. I know, man. Let's go, LAPD. Uh, You know who else we need to talk about? 
It's the guy who plays Dr. Silberman. Oh, yeah. Dr. Silberman is uh, Earl Bowen. He recaptures that same sleazy doctor feel in Terminator 2. Amplifies it completely. We can't forget about Rick Rosevich either. Oh, yeah. Rick Rosevich. Rick Rosevich from Roxanne. Rick Rosevich from Top Gun. Top Gun. I mean, he's just this good looking guy who also happens to be a pretty good actor. And he does a fantastic. I love the call. The inappropriate talk, and she and 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 Sarah Connor's like you know Linda is like kind of giggling at this and you know and enjoying it a little bit before she lets the secret go. First, I'm gonna tear off your clothes. <laughs> oh, hey Sarah, sorry. Can I talk to Ginger? <laughs> and a hanger on from the Roger Corman days, a guy who was also in Gremlins because Joe Dante was a Roger Corman guy. Of, yeah, Roger Corman as well. We've got Dick Miller in there. He's the pawn shop dealer who's showing Arnold all of the <laughs> That's guns, right? right? That's right. And he's like, how are you going to pay for this? Hey, you can't do that. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you made a mention to me the other day. Yeah. We glossed over Ginger. Uh-huh. She didn't do a lot, but you said, what's her name? Uh, Bess Mata. I believe your comment to me was, she has great legs. She had some great legs. <laughs> Giving it up to Ginger's legs. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. All right. So that takes care of the cast on Terminator. Yeah. There's really not very many people in this movie. No, it is a, it is a small budget, small cast incredibly produced film yep okay fast forward 1990 1990 right so at this point james cameron has made Terminator. He's followed it up with Aliens. Yep. And the he's Abyss. also followed it up with The Abyss. Now, after he made Aliens, he got, there were all kinds of Oscar nominations, right? Sigourney Weaver, first actress to ever get nominated for Best Actress in a Science Fiction Movie. That's the first time it had ever happened. Right. Sound effects, special effects, all kinds of nominations, but two important nominations that didn't happen no Best Director. No best picture. Gail Hurd, James Cameron, watching this happen, devastated. Yeah. And so they're frustrated. He's achieved this amazing movie. Like it's the biggest movie of the year of 1986. And he he feels like he's not getting any kudos whatsoever. And his father, who has been against this film career from the beginning, is still disappointed in him. He still feels like he hasn't satisfied his dad. So he's talking to Randy Frakes and Randy Frakes is like, who cares? He goes, you know, I just don't know that this really means anything. And he's like, of course it means something. You can change people's lives with movies. Like, really? We're really just telling a story. He's like, no, movies change my life. You can change other people's lives. Yeah. And so the next movie that we get after Aliens is The Abyss, which is where we see James Cameron starting to have a bit of a message behind what he's doing. I would love to talk about The Abyss sometime. Yeah, absolutely. It's underappreciated. People kind of beat on it a little bit. It it didn't do that well, but I think it had to be the fact that Leviathan and Deep Star 6 had both come out that (laughs) same year and they were both total crap. Those were total crap. Total crap movies. That, I mean, they had potential, right? I mean, it was basically those were alien underwater, right? Right. What James Cameron did was also sort of alien underwater, but it was with beauty. Here's something that's fascinating. In the original script of The Terminator, there were supposed to be two Terminators. That's fascinating. One 
like we know, that is the robot machine, uh-huh. and one that is an almost unkillable liquid metal. James Cameron toyed around with the idea of doing claymation, and then ultimately decided we just don't have the technology to make this work. Well, they also, we're going to go blow up Cyberdyne. Right. Yeah, that was part of it as well. Yep. Well, once we get to the abyss, CGI has come so far. And if you've seen The Abyss, you know what they do with the water and the faces. And it is amazing. And it is at that point that he says, this is good enough that I can have my liquid metal terminate. Yeah. I heard somebody say that The Abyss was a $100 million dry run for T2. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay. So they're going to make the next Terminator movie. So here's the funny part about this. They call camera and they're like hey we want you to do the sequel for the terminator while you're thinking of the story which by the way we want out by next july 1991 right we're gonna pull stan winston and arnold schwarzenegger off of kindergarten cop for one day to make a teaser trail so they pull him off of kindergarten cop for one day and they pull stan winston off of edward scissorhands and they make this incredible trailer it's like the factory in there they're pressing terminators oh yeah you have arnold and he comes out he's got the red eyes muscled out and all that teaser trailer was to tell you that all Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the fact that the one that you killed in 1984 doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He's coming back. Yeah. He'll be back. He'll be back. So when the studio comes to Cameron and says, we want to make the sequel to Terminator 2, we want you to go for it. He's like, awesome. I'm ready to dive in. So he calls his buddy, Bill Wisher, Mm -hmm. and he says, here's the good news. Terminator 2 is greenlit. Here's the bad news. We're already three months behind schedule. Okay, so once they get started on the story, he has to convince Arnold that he's going to be the good guy this time, which Arnold's fine with. But he also convinces him, you're not going to kill a single person in this movie. I swear I will not kill anyone. Right. And Arnold's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jim, I'm the Terminator. I have to kill people. He's like, no, not going to kill one single person person and he's like just trust me i will still make you the awesome terminator you just don't kill anybody <laughs> and so that took some selling for arnold right ah, <laughs> he'll live, he'll live. <laughs> <laughs> so they take the technology that they used on the abyss yep. to make the, the t-1000 yeah i mean it's it's more than that like basically I mean, to know, I mean, when you look at the T-1000, there's a lot more going on than just a water image right mm-hmm. he, the technology didn't exist he, he had to create it. Like he was a part of the process that created this amazing, amazing CGI. I read that Industrial Lights and Magic had to hire 35 more people just to complete this movie. Right. So yeah, now you have two Terminators. Yeah. You bring Sarah Connor back. You introduce a new character, young John Connor. Right. And now the target's not Sarah anymore. It's John. Right. Okay. So young John Connor. And so they bring in all these actors. Uh-huh. And they start interviewing these kids, but these are not tough streetwise kids. These are all kid actors, right? right. None of them are any tough. Soft. They're yeah. soft. <laughs> you have to believe Sorry, this guys. kid. I wonder if Dan Cooksey was initially up for the part of John I don't Connor. Know. I don't know. So if you guys don't know who John Cooksey is, if you watched different strokes watched when different you were a kid, yeah. whenever Gary Coleman got really too old to be cute anymore, <laughs> they brought in a little white kid to be the cute kid. And that was Dan Cooksey. He's the guy who's like John Connor's best friend who's out there riding on his motorcycle and stealing stuff from the ATM machine. Dan Cooksey's the one when they go to the arcade and they're playing Missile Command, uh-huh. which is about a it's a game where you have to defend yourself against nuclear 
war. Yeah. Kind of ironic. Yes. yes. And also, if you don't remember him from the movie, he had the penultimate mullet. Oh, it was awesome. It was a great mullet. So they go to the boys club, like the YMCA, uh-huh. and start looking at kids like regular old LA kids. Yeah. And Jim comes across this kid named Edward Furlong, and he really likes him. Yeah. And he brings him in and he says, hey, Eddie, we really like what, what you've got. He's like, have you ever acted in anything before? And Eddie says, I've been in some family home videos. <laughs> <laughs> and he's apparently, this is what Edward Furlong still says. Uh-huh. Like when they ask him about his acting history, he's like, I've been in family videos. Yeah. So that was kind of the clincher. They all laughed, thought that was funny. And that's when they settled on Edward Furlong. Yeah. He's had a little uh, personal drama since then. He's been in some stuff, but uh, uh, he was John Connor. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because during the production of this movie, his voice changed and he grew about six inches. They had to dig holes so that he wouldn't be taller than people at the end of the movie. Yeah. To, like, he, yeah. To maintain the height relationship with Linda Hamilton, they had to stick him in a hole <laughs> because he was at one time shorter, but became taller than her during the picture. Yep. He was supposed to be playing a 10 year old. Yeah. He was actually 13. Yeah. Which is why his voice changes too. And why you don't cast 13. I know. Unless crazy. their voice has already changed. You know, the, uh, the kid from what about Bob and hook? Uh-huh. His name is Charlie Cosmo. Yeah. He's actually, about. we talked about him. He's like a professor. Law now. professor. Yeah. Yeah. They offered him the role of John Connor, Uh huh. but he couldn't accept because he was in what about Bob? Oh yeah. Same. Gosh, that's weird to think that these movies were the same time. I know. Right. Okay. I really want to talk about the T-1000. Yes. So now that you have to find somebody who's menacing, but different than Arnold. Right. Right. They actually considered the idea of bringing Michael Bean back and he was going to be the T-1000, the liquid metal. How cool would that have been? That would have been fantastic, but he's got to be pissed. They kill him (laughs) off for Alien 3. And then he finds out, he's like, oh, this will be great. I get to be the guy. Oh, no, they don't. They think it's going to confuse the audience. That's why they said, no, Michael Bean. It's going to be confused because we're stupid, I guess. Right. Oh, he was the good guy. Now he's the bad guy. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Yeah. And and to see the emotions of Sarah, had Michael Bean been the liquid Terminator? Yep. Okay. So Michael Bean thought about it. He's out. He's out. Next idea is bring another version of Arnold back and it's Arnold versus Arnold. It's interesting. Sure. But it's similar to the scenes at the end of the movie. Like when you have two Sarah Connors on screen together. Yeah. Who do I trust? Which one is which? But they said, nope, I'm not going to do that. We're going to start fresh and bring a new person in to act. Okay. Now, here are the people that they thought about for the T-1000. Billy Idol. He's got the angular features. He looks a lot like Robert Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, he's thin. He's... You know, got the high cheekbones and the cool haircut. Yeah. You know, rock the cradle of love, right? (laughs) Right. But he couldn't do it because he was in that terrible motorcycle accident. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So he had to bow out. Okay. Okay. Now then, here's the other person that they wanted. Blackie Lawless. The lead singer for the rock band Wasp. They looked at him. That is a deep cut, my friend. You know who that is? He's he's like 6'4". He's huge. Yeah. He's but like hyper intelligent, but also kind of the Marilyn Manson of the early 90s. That's right? true. Yep. They didn't hire him because he was too tall. I thought that was really interesting. So they settled on this guy named Robert Patrick. 
Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? Right. Who had been in Die Hard 2. Right. That was where they saw him. Die Hard 2. And his his appearance in Die Hard 2 is so fast that if you blink, you'll miss it. Yeah. I call BS on this. Yeah. Okay. Something else. It's, they, they fell to him. They liked him or whatever, but he was really a distant third, I think. Probably. And he's done some good stuff since then, but yeah. he was unknown at the time. I forgot to mention one. Okay. It's going to blow your skirt up. You ready for this? <laughs> okay. I love my skirt. All right. <laughs> this is going to blow your skirt up who they thought about for the T-1000. Okay. Steven Seagal. Wow. How about that? That would have been interesting. Oh, yeah. Those fight scenes would have been much. The fight scenes would have been cool. Yeah. But watching Steven Seagal run is one of the worst <laughs> things I have ever seen. <laughs> okay. So I'll throw this in now. Robert Patrick, once he had the part, he trained on running. He knew that he had to run a bunch. And one idea that he had about the character was that he would look around like a bald eagle, like his... His eyes would look and then his head would follow. That was the way that he that was the way that he did the head movements. But for the running, he knew that from the waist up, he had to be completely mechanical. Like right. it was like pump, 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 looks very fluid. Didn't matter what was happening with his legs. He had to be very fluid, but he also knew he had to be fast. And so he trained and trained to get as fast as he could because he's supposed to be like the speedy guy. Yeah. By the time they got to filming, he could easily catch up with Edward Furlong on the motorcycle. He could easily yeah, catch up yeah. with him. And so they're like, could you just run a little slower? please?" <laughs> I heard that they're trailing Eddie Furlong on a trailer. They got the moped on a trailer. Yeah. And Edward Furlong is like, what do I do if he catches me? And they're like, he won't catch you. And the <laughs> next thing that happened was he tapped him on the shoulder. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> no, no, it's a cardigan, cardigan but thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> One more name for you. The character of Miles Dyson. Yes. He's the, the head computer guy at Cyberdyne who eventually builds Skynet and all that stuff. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to hold this up. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. They wanted Denzel Washington. Oh, wow. How about that? That was, I mean, Glory had come out at that point. So Denzel was somebody but he wasn't he wasn't he denzel. wasn't capital d denzel washington yeah and so his quote on this was i read the script and what i saw this role doing was just all he did was look scared and sweat nailed it <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep and that's why he's denzel with a capital d because that's exactly what this character does right he's smart we see him be smart and then we get the reveal on the chip and the hand that we're just like oh so we're not paying attention to him at all and then yeah the next time we see him he's getting shot from behind and sweating and panting for the rest of his time in the can movie. we just remove our hat put your hand over your heart miles dyson is the true hero of terminator 2 he sacrifices himself yeah to change the future yeah and then t3 craps all over that yeah we salute you miles dyson yeah. So let, I want to touch on that real quick. Okay. So when we were doing aliens, we, I mean, I looked at a lot of stuff that James Cameron had said, and he basically said, you know, I'm coming on. They didn't ask Ridley to do this. I'm coming on. And Ridley was pissed. And he goes, and it wasn't until T3 and the Terminators that followed that I really understood where he was coming from because 
I saw somebody else playing in my sandbox and it was disturbing. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Yeah. But like we said about the aliens that occurred after aliens that James Cameron made, those don't meet our criteria. We are not discussing those. You can take all of those, Salvation, Genesis, Dark Fate, especially T3, put them in a giant pile you can put them in a compressor and, <laughs> and you can hit the button and crush them to death. That's right. And we pull up, we're going to nuke the whole thing from existence. <laughs> so who ends up getting the part of Miles Dyson is this actor named Joe Morton, who's been in quite a bit of stuff, but he's most recently that I know of been in this movie called Justice League. Oh, yeah. He is Cyborg's dad. And, you know, you still haven't seen the Snyder Cut of Justice League, which is a travesty because it is so many more times greater than the Joss Whedon theatrical nonsense. Right. He's got a much bigger part in this one. And to mention, by the way, we discuss the Snyder Cut in detail on our other podcast called Podcast Full of Kryptonite. Be sure and go check that one out as well. And I'd also like to add, if you've listened this far, please hit the follow button, hit the subscribe button, come check us out on Facebook. We've got like 29,000 followers at this point. Check us out on Twitter. And if you want to be an executive producer of our show, be sure and go to our Patreon page where you can be an executive producer for as little as five bucks a month. Now, back to the casting we had, that's Miles Dyson. We also had uh, one of my favorite actresses from Aliens back in this movie, who's she's been in a ton of James Cameron movies, and that's Jeanette Goldstein. She gets to play the part of the foster mom. Okay, wait a minute. Let's let's not glaze over that. Yeah. The woman who plays Vasquez in Aliens yep. is John Connor's foster mom. Yep. She's nearly unrecognizable. Doesn't look the same at all. Different accent, has freckles, not all tan. Different race. Long I mean, hair. Yeah. I mean, and the husband. His name is Xander Berkeley, right? He plays Todd. Yeah. And he's this kind of deadbeat guy, but he was in Air Force One with Harrison Ford as the bad guy, right? Yeah, like he's right. the special agent bad guy. Yeah. He was in uh, the first season of 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. He's been in a lot of stuff. We have a guy named Michael Edwards who plays old John Connor at the beginning of the movie, the guy with the scars on his face. Yeah, yeah. He dated Priscilla Presley for a long time. Yeah. When they finally broke up, uh, he wrote a book called Elvis, Priscilla, and Me, which was a take on hers book, which was called Elvis and Me. But basically, <laughs> it's like, what do you do when you're the guy dating Elvis's widow, right? And yeah. you're you're nobody. Yeah. But he was he was a male model who was, hooked up with Priscilla Presley. The, he said, nice beaver. And she said, thanks. I just had it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yes, winner. <sighs> and then we have Earl Bowen back again as Dr. Silverman going even slimier than he was in Terminator 1. He broke my arm. There are 206 bones in the human body. <laughs> That's one. All right, D, let's take a quick break. We're going to do our new thing. This is called the Shirley Fan Salute. So we reached out to uh, one of our good friends, Mr. James Buckley, and we just said, hey, let's talk about an episode that we've done before that you like. Tell us what you think. Weigh in on our final judgment. Uh -huh. He wanted to weigh in on Fright Night versus Lost Boys. Here's what he had to say. 
What is happening, Jason and Dee? This is James Buckley coming at you from Monroe, Louisiana, where the only thing worse than the traffic is usually the traffic. Anyway, it's a huge honor to be asked to weigh in on an earlier episode. And the episodes I'm choosing are not very seasonally appropriate, but they were great episodes nonetheless. It was where you guys had a showdown between the Lost Boys and Fright Night. Straight up, I'll tell you, I'm a huge horror movie fan. And if you like the scary stuff like me, there was no better era than the 80s. So many great movies were released in that decade, including the two we're talking about today, which were released with a two-year span and are also my two favorite vampire movies. We'll start off with The Lost Boys. First off, I love this movie. In my opinion, it's the perfect artistic representation of the 1980s. The clothing, the hairstyles, the music, it's all over-the-top, bright, fun. Everything I remember about the 80s. And it was a great horror movie as well, with plenty of scares, great practical special effects, and Kiefer Sutherland doing a particularly great job as a vampire. In fact, if it weren't for the existence of the other movie we're talking about today, this would be my favorite vampire movie. But Fright Night does exist. And it does win the top spot with me, mostly because of the performance of Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge. He added a lot of character to the vampire. He didn't go the Bela Lugosi route. There was no fake Eastern European accent, no hiding in shadows. No, he portrayed the vampire as a smooth, suave lady killer, but literally and figuratively. He even wore a sweater to the disco, for heaven's sake. There were great supporting performances as well, particularly Stephen Jeffries, who played the best friend of the protagonist. He was really good as Evil Ed. We won't discuss cinematic pursuits after this movie, but anyway, he did a great job here. It's a close competition, but when it comes down to it, I have to give Friday Night the top spot. Side note, when I was a junior in high school, a guy opened a video store in our town, and of course, he looked just like Billy Cole. Billy, if you remember, was Jerry Dandridge's sidekick. We never knew if he was a zombie, a vampire, or what. But this guy looked just like him, so much that you almost felt a little nervous going into his store after dark. Thankfully, he left town, the store shut down before I could find out if he was hiding a coffin in his back room, and that's probably for the best. Anyway, guys, thanks for the opportunity. I love your show. You're the highlight of my podcasting week, and here's to many, many more years of Shirley you can't be serious okay awesome thanks james that was great i i'm pretty sure you disagreed with both of us on that one i think that we both picked lost boys friday night and lost boys are both awesome both fantastic this those were his that i think that was his introduction to us was That's that episode. Said, yeah so apparently it's good enough to have somebody come in and become our friend so if you're listening now for the first time go check out lost boys versus fright night James interacts with us regularly. He sends us messages on Facebook. He weighs in. We love hearing from him. We'd love to hear from you as well. James, thank you so much. We appreciate your patronage and look forward to hearing from you down the line. All right. So that does it for part one of Terminator versus T2. We will be back next week for the second half. We'll be back. (laughs) 